Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit trinitychurchlondon.com. So Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 to 25. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all of its livestock and to all the birds and the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was no, not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let's pray before we dive in here. Father, we thank you so much for your grace in giving us marriage. And Father, in just these few moments as we look at this passage that feels so countercultural in our day, Lord, would you give us grace to see the beauty and the love that you intend in Christian marriage. And we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So marriage for us today, I think we would all agree, is a complicated thing. If you're married, it's complicated. If you're not married, it's complicated. It's complicated at a political level. It's complicated at a societal level. Is marriage really something that we should be holding on to? It is complicated. But what we have here in this passage is really a biblical vision of the, the first marriage and God's intention for what marriage should be about. And what I want to do is just really walk through three things. The creation of male and female, the nuts and bolts, four things that marks this first marriage, and then what marriage is actually all about, the big picture. So that we can get this kind of biblical vision and hopefully clear some of the confusion and bring some clarity as to what God's intention of marriage is. So that we can learn, go away, strengthen, and what is it that really is meant by this? And so the first thing we find in in this passage is the creation of male and female. What we find in verse 18, where God said, the first time ever in creation, something is not good. He looks at Adam alone. He said, this is not good that he's alone. Everything up to this point has been good, 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 good. And up this point, he says, this is not good. And so the solution to this is this. I will make a helper fit for him. I will make a companion who will work with Adam in my purposes. And it's important to say here, because there's sometimes controversy around unnecessarily, what does it mean for Eve or for the woman to be the helper? It certainly doesn't mean inferiority because this word helper is referred to God many times in the Old Testament, that God himself calls himself the helper of his people. 
So it doesn't speak about inferiority, neither does it speak about superiority. Because when he says make a helper fit, the, literally the word there is this, this kind of counterpart. It's this equal and opposite. It's not like an Adam Mark II, it's taking an, a counterpart that is a complement to Adam. And we've got to notice two things here. A complement, firstly, in the purposes of God, because God has just told Adam and Eve, or Adam at this point, you are to work the garden. This is your plan. This is your purpose, to be working in the garden. And he said, I can see that you doing this alone is not good. You need a woman alongside you to see the purposes that I have fulfilled. Man alone can't complete the purposes of God. Woman alone can't complete the purposes of God. It is in the beauty of diversity as man and woman come together that the mission is accomplished. That's the first thing. And the second thing is this. There is this just wonderful and I think beautiful moment where in verse 21 we have Adam put into this kind of coma, this deep sleep fell upon Adam. And while he was asleep, the Lord took one of his ribs and closed up its place with his flesh and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and you've got to notice this moment that you have Adam asleep and you have Eve awake in the presence of God Eve has her own relationship with the Lord she doesn't need to go through Adam to know God it's a personal equal and opposite intellectually morally spiritually relationally before God her maker and so you have Adam and Eve standing before the Lord when they then are taken to the first marriage that we have in the Bible so we read these I think lovely words he said the Lord brought woman the, the woman to the man and the man said having seen all these other animals say God's saying is this fit for you is this fit for you this wasn't God trying things out it wasn't like mixing and matching saying will this do will this do no 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 it's not like iteration 562 he's showing Adam all these other animals to demonstrate the fact to Adam that you're alone you need help you can't do this by yourself he's continually showing look you're alone you can't get help from this 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 and finally adam says as the lord brings eve to him says this at last so you've got to imagine the lord at this point adam as it were standing here and the lord bringing eve down the aisle to present the first woman to the first man and Adam, as he looks up and sees this woman, he says, this at last, the Lord, you have done well. This is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This is the first love poetry. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. It might not you know, particularly convey today. I'm not sure this is the best love, but for this is him saying, I like, I would like. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Four quick things to say about this marriage. The first thing is this. It's heterosexual. It's beauty in diversity. It's male and female. That there is a complement that is to be made with each other. Male with female. God intends marriage to be. 
And the second thing is this, is that this marriage is ordained and sealed, as it were, by God himself. Therefore a man shall um, leave his mother, father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. This is a God-ordained, God-brought-together thing that as man and woman live together in marriage, they will be sealed by the presence of God. Jesus says this in Mark chapter 10. He says, the two shall become one flesh. So they were no longer two, but one. And what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Which is so important to know because you can feel like your journey when you're dating and coming together, it can feel very kind of backwards and forwards and sometimes it can be messy, but you end up and you find yourself and then you get married and you find out, oh, the mess, it continues. Oh, okay. And you're trying to still work it out. And in those moments, you need to remind yourself, God joined us together. God did this. Through the difficulties, through the trials, God did this. And if God did this, we are not going to break the work apart. The second, third thing is this, that the marriage here is exclusive. A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. One man with one woman. Later on in the New Testament, when Paul's talking about elders, qualification of elders, to be a one woman man. Eyes for only one. This is an exclusive relationship. And it's one where you leave one family unit to form a brand new family unit. What does it say? Father, sorry, the man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. So there's not just a, a physical renewal. There is an emotional new family that is started as a man and a woman get together in marriage. And the fourth thing is this. Marriage is a place of security. In verse 25, we read these words, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And this speaks of sexual union, but it speaks symbolically of far more than that. It speaks of being known completely and still being loved. And it speaks of knowing another completely and loving unconditionally. The marriage is to be the place where there is nothing that needs to be hidden, where all shame can get washed away, where you can be yourself, all the good bits and the bad bits, all the strong bits and all the quirky bits, because you know that you are loved, because you are loved, because you are loved, therefore you can be naked and unashamed. There is nothing to hide within marriage. I think it's what we all desperately long for isn't it to be known 100 percent all your faults all your flaws your broken sinful selfish person and yet still loved and this is what we find in marriage so this is the nuts and bolts of marriage this is what it is it's a place where we are to find love where love flourishes between a man and a woman where you can be yourself but love, marriage lastly points us to a, a much bigger reality than even all of this. Because marriage is not just a place where a man and a woman flourish in their uh, romance and in their love for one another. It's not just a place where children are to be birthed and raised in the place of security. It's not just something that God institutes as a, something that is good for society. 
God instills marriage into our culture to tell us about the big love story, about the big romantic story that is the Lord's love for us, his people. When we have moments like this and we celebrate with Namrata and Abdullah and we're celebrating 10 years of marriage, what we're doing is we are watching a symbol of a much bigger story that is the Lord's love for you and for me. Giles Fraser, he wrote in The Guardian a while back, and he wrote this, one of the main things that many atheists and some believers for that matter fail to register about Christianity is that it's not so much a metaphysical account of the nature of the universe, nor a codification of ancient moral principles, but primarily a romance, a sort of love story. And he says, if I had to sum up the nature of this love story, I would say that it is about someone coming to find you, someone seeking you out at their own initiative without you having had to dance or impress for it. They, will, they tell you that you are loved and cared for in ways that you do not actually believe could be true. So God speaks about himself as creator, he speaks about himself as provider, as the sustainer. He speaks about the one who will bring all things to an end. He speaks about himself as judge. But throughout the whole Bible, he also speaks about himself as husband. He refers to himself, not just, I am your God, I am the Lord, I am the judge. He speaks about himself, I am your husband. He says in Hosea, calling people back, he says, in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. Jeremiah 31, he says, I was a husband to them as he contemplates the pain of his people walking away from them. In Isaiah 54, again, he says, for your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And when Jesus arrives pursuing us as a husband pursuing, bride he refers to himself as the bridegroom he establishes himself as the center point of the story of history and says the lord who is the husband of his people i have come and at a wedding in cana he declares himself to be the the husband of his own people it's crazy we have to deal with that. This man, Jesus, what was he actually talking about to call himself the husband of his people? The end of the story is this, that as Jesus pursues us all the way, being crucified under our selfishness, being raised again, he gathers to himself all those who would say yes to him, all those who would receive his invitation to be gathered into this marriage. And at the very end of history, at the very end of the Bible, we're told we, we end with a celebration. It's called the wedding feast of the Lamb. As God's people, his bride, the church, are united with God himself, our husbands. And so we find ourselves in this big picture story of the love of God for his people. And for some of you, particularly if you're a guy, you might feel like, God is my husband now. That's a new, that's a new category. The Lord takes normal things and through the Bible, makes theological points to them so sometimes you ladies you have to get used to being called the sons of god okay sometimes you men you have to get used to being called the bride of christ it's just how the bible talks symbolically about realities that are deep and rich and theological about the lord himself
But we find ourselves in this wonderful story and marriage, like Abdullah and Namratas reflects this. Paul says in Ephesians 5, quoting Genesis 2, he says, Therefore a man shall leave his mother and father and hold fast with wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And Paul, thinking on this, says this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. He's looking at marriages and he's saying this is pointing us, it's, it's a signpost, it's referring us to another type of marriage between the love of God for his people. And so Abdullah and Namrata, they've been playing out roles today. Abdullah has been playing the role of Christ. As Christ, as Abdullah said in his vows to, to, to Namrata, as Christ loved the church, Abdullah is called to love Namrata. To play the role of Christ as the man is not... The, uh, the joy of just being able to do whatever you want and rah, give me a bit of a messiah complex, sit on the sofa, watch the football, call the wife, whatever I want, because I get to play. No, the call on the husband is a high bar of self-sacrifice. The call on the husband is to follow Christ who loved his bride, the church, all the way to death on a cross so that his bride may flourish in life. As we gather every Sunday and we sing to Jesus, we are being reminded of the love that he poured out for us so that we might flourish in our life spiritually and emotionally and relationally. That is the role of the husband that Abdullah plays as Christ. And Namrata's role in this is to play the church. To receive the love of Abdullah as the church receives the love of Christ. To submit to the love of Abdullah, to say, I will receive your loving care in my life. Just as the church, God's people, Christians say, I submit to the love of Jesus and I receive his care and his grace. And as they do this, this living, breathing parable it speaks about the greater love of God for his church. So there is a much bigger reality than what society is currently talking about. Because if it is just a societal building thing, well, if society changes, it looks different. We might bolt on different things, change different aspects of it. But if marriage is designed to be about Christ and his church, there is a foundation that never changes because God put it there. And this is what we have a reflection of the wonderful love of God for us. I want to say three things as we close. First thing is this. All of us are invited to know Jesus as our husband. Guys and girls, refer to my previous point. We're invited to know Jesus as our husband, as the God who comes and pursues us, who goes after us, who sacrifices himself on a cross for us. In the marriage ceremony, the renewal of vows ceremony, <laughs> we heard these words said to one another from Abdullah and Namrata. They are said at a marriage ceremony. I give you this ring as a sign of our marriage and with my body, I honor you. All that I am, I give to you. All that I am, I share with you within the love of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For a man and a wife to say, all that I am, I give to you, and all that I have, I share with you, involves a lot. And if you're married, you know that it's probably more than you bargained for. You get a few years into marriage, you say, oh, I didn't know everything that I was getting into, but here we are, married. 
you share all of your past all of your quirkiness all of the personality traits that make it difficult to love you all of your good bits everything that you bring you 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 have it it's it's there you're all in you share everything in a proper true marriage there's no such thing as a prenuptial like we we'll hedge our bets marriages everything i'm um, uh, financially everything all, all that i have behind me is on the table is it's one now and when we come to jesus we have exactly the same thing we come the first moment you say yes i would like to be a christian i'd like to follow jesus what it means is saying all that i have i give to you all that i am i share with you and what is that as his people we bring a lot of shame a lot of sin a lot of baggage a lot of wrongdoing a lot of guilt inside and we say everything like i'm just giving you all my everything my wrongdoings there's not much we contribute to a relationship with an infinite almighty god who created and sustains all things but he still receives it all on himself in the cross and the wonderful thing is this when we say yes to jesus invitation to know him jesus says and by the way all that i am i give to you all that i have i share with you so we get to bring our wrongdoing and our shame and our sin to the marriage with god and god says i'm going to give you unending love i'm going to clothe you with a white gown of righteousness i'm going to put a ring on your finger i'm going to make you a co-heir an inheritor of all things with me everything that i am is now yours jesus at one point in revelation 3 says you can come sit on my throne i don't know like how that's going to work but there is this symbol where jesus says everything is mine so much so that you could sit at the center of the universe and sit with me on my throne turn around and look at creation and see it from where i see it because everything that jesus has he gives to us it's a good deal and it's free and the offer is to everyone who is here today psalm 63 reflecting on this david says because your steadfast love is better than life my lips will praise you so i will bless you as long as i live and in your name i will lift up my hands a love like that only comes from the lord the love that we all actually deep crave crave for that marriage cannot fulfill will only ultimately be found in the steadfast love of our maker jesus christ so would you consider going to jesus second thing is this being single and this is a pastoral note being single is hard and i'm aware there's a whole bunch of single people in the room and you're probably thinking well, it's great for you to say because you're married like yeah it's really hard when you don't have to do it but i just want to recognize it i was single at one point and just acknowledge the fact that for a lot of you you're celebrating genuinely with these guys and yet also at the same time there is just a sense of an ache because you would love it to be you and you wonder and you could i ever be be married what i want to say is this that human marriage is 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 too light a load to put your hopes and expectations of the love of god on that marriage is a wonderful gift from God and if you 
want to be married is a good gift to pray for and keep your eyes open for as well. <laughs> Download that app, maybe. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> I don't know. Talk to Frau Kuh if you've got any advice. Best Christian apps then, just... Um, But it's, it can't bear all the weight of your hopes and expectations. Human marriage will buckle under the weight of if you don't have the love of God in your life. It won't bear up under all the hopes and expectations that you think it will provide unless your heart has first been filled with the love of God, your husband, into your life. And as it then becomes an overflow from that, then it becomes a wonderful gift. And in the meantime, while you're single, if you would hear this from me, there have been great men and women who have also been single and have done great things with their lives. Many men and women in the Bible. First and foremost, Jesus Christ, who accomplished a small amount with. So don't throw away all of your singleness in the hope of looking for a husband or a wife. That's the first thing to say. I hope you hear that with kindness. And the second thing, lastly, is to say this. Marriage, third thing is marriage is hard. <laughs> Anyone in the house want to put their hands up? Like, yeah. It's like, oh, it's not everything I... <laughs> like, hooray, I'm married. All right, calm down, everybody. It's like one big ministry session at the end. It's like, right, everyone's crying. Oh, my goodness, why is it so difficult? <laughs> Okay, right, we're just going to line up at the end, just going to pray. Um, all right, so there's some resonance in the room. Like when you're single and you're engaged and all you do is look forward to the marriage day. Especially if you're Christian, you're looking forward to the marriage day. <laughs> and you're like, you can't really see beyond it. Like, it's just like getting married. That's all like wedding day, getting married, wedding day, getting married, wedding day, getting married. And then you get like, I mean... Normally the honeymoon is like, it doesn't last long, you know, like, oh my goodness, who is it that I've married? That's what Toria told me. That's what like. <laughs> Before you point, I think I'm pointing at it. But it's hard. And so I think what Namrata and Abdullah modelled for us is something wonderful in the way that you expressed grace and forgiveness and acknowledged your own sin and your own selfishness that we all bring to the best of relationships. I think you've modelled something really beautiful for us and also unlocked something for us in the room to, to know that marriage is difficult and if you're struggling, you don't need to feel alone. You don't need to think, is it just us who are finding this hard? It's not. Everyone finds it difficult. Tor and I, we've been through multiple rounds of various counsellors individually and separately um, the reason I only say that is to know that like I don't think anything majorly went wrong I mean it felt like it was going majorly wrong at the moment but I look back now and think as I talk to many other people I, I think it was probably just quite normal and if you're in that place of feeling lonely in a marriage you just need to reach out and ask someone and just the moments of honesty become the moments of healing and redemption and we find God in the midst of our marriages. And as they're God-sealed, God-ordained, we 
stick in them. And we keep sticking. Sticking through the issues if it takes a year, a decade, and we stick through them even if they take a lifetime. Knowing that the love of God is filling us and healing us and redeeming even the most broken parts of us. It's a radical vision in a culture that is pulling itself apart when it comes to marriage. But I think it's a beautiful vision and one that I want us as a church to rally around so that we might live a countercultural life, that we might do singleness with a countercultural attitude, we might date with a countercultural attitude. Attitude. We might marry and stay married as a countercultural attitude, all the while knowing the love of God that flows as a husband to us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray, and I'm going to invite the band up to, to close us out.